Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My co-host today is Nathan. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and thanks for having me. Today's topic, 1994's Flintstones movie. The film stars John Goodman as Fred Flintstone, Rick Moranis as Barney Rubble, Elizabeth Perkins as Wilma Flintstone, and Rosie O'Donnell as Betty Rubble. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. I don't know about you, but I have such a strong love for this movie. I had a quick look out of curiosity to see where it's sitting on Rotten Tomatoes. 21%. This okay. is not, a, it doesn't seem to be a favorite with critics, but this came out when I was 10 and I maybe didn't even see it in 94. I might have seen it a bit later on. So I was, I'd say, at the right age. I wasn't even that big of a fan of the Flintstones cartoon growing up, if I'm honest. I'd watch it if it was on, but something mm. about this film. I just, you know, the set design, everything about the look of this world. Anyway, that's me. What about you? How do you feel about this film? What year did this film debut? What year did it come out? 94. 94. Okay, I would have been 14. So, yeah, look, I I was very taken to leave it because I was I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like think it was fantastic. But I, at the same time, I thought, well, I've done a good job of replicating the cartoon in live action here. So it wasn't. I didn't think it was crap or anything by any means. I just wasn't <laughs> wow, hugely. Okay. I just, I just wasn't hugely geeking on it. You know, I thought it was cool. But I wasn't like it didn't change my world. That's what I love about us doing this because I've got no idea until now. Well, he just told me, but I had no idea your feeling towards this film. So it's always good to have an opposite reaction. Whereas, yeah, like yeah. the nostalgia is so high for yeah. me for this I movie. Mean, Looking back on it last night, it's 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 fun, you know. Like it's it's it was great. It's really enjoyable, and it's going to be good to get into. It's going to be it's, it was great to revisit it after all these years. It does give it a bit more of a does polish it up a bit and give it a bit more sheen, you know. So, yeah, I mean, keep in mind, right? So, an executive producer on this film is Steven Spielberg, as he's credited uh, in the film. Steven Spielrock. Spielrock. I was going to say, I think you mean Steven <laughs> Steven Spielrock. That's right. This is a year after Jurassic World. This is a year after Jurassic Park. Like in 93, we've got dinosaurs from him there, and we get dinosaurs again in this film, but obviously it is a very different... Albeit more cartoony, yeah. Yeah, more more cartoony. Ah, this, um, This film received mostly negative reviews from critics and earned almost 342 million worldwide against a 46 million budget. Come on. Wow. So it this did pretty good. Film financially was a hit. Audiences and fans praised its faithfulness to its source material, visual mm. effects, costume design, art direction, and performances, particularly Goodman as Fred, but criticized yeah. the storyline tone, which they deemed too mature for family audiences and casting choices on O'Donnell and Elizabeth Taylor. This was her final theatrical film appearance she played wilma's mom pearl uh slag hoople so there you go Mm. that was her character's name i don't remember it from the film but that's that's her character's name the movie was originally acquired by new line cinema but then sold to universal pictures 
it's good that that happened just so they could have the gag universal mm. universal <laughs> yeah that's it that oh, i loved, cool. loved all i like the, the puns and the plays on words and things like that the little things like that were were pretty cool i kind of like that I liked all of that. I mean, at the beginning of the driving, there's a sign that says, coming soon, Gorge Lucas Tower Wars. So there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. The Spielberg's mate, one. George Lucas. All those visual gags. Oh, there is, you, there's so many. I'm glad you actually reeled off the how it did financially um, and at the box office, because I was wondering that toward the end of the film last night. I thought, man, these sets look elaborate. I'm like, how much do you reckon they spent on the set? And where was it filmed? What location? All this kind of stuff. Yeah, but again, a hit. You know, a prequel mm. titled The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas was released in 2000. That one, I haven't seen. I'm going That's to. That's a sequel. A prequel. But I'm going, oh, right. to, I'm going to watch it after, after we record. But I've, I've stayed yeah. away from it. Um, I think with that one, Stephen Baldwin played Barney, whereas in this one, it was Rick Moranis. That's right. The original main cast did not reprise their roles of the characters, although O'Donnell provided the voice of an octopus who gave massages to younger versions of Wilma and Betty. There you hmm. go. So <laughs> there's a loose connection there. But yeah, it's, it's a different cast yeah. all together. Mark Addy from the full Monty and later Game of Thrones and, and other film and TV series, he played Fred. But I remember, like, the casting of John Goodman, he was between seasons on Roseanne at the time. He just seemed like the perfect choice. I mean, even as a kid, he looked like a live-action Fred Flintstone. Yeah. He sounded he like Fred Flintstone. I think... He did. That I read, was perfect casting. I read somewhere that he wanted... He was purposely staying away from the cartoons and he was looking at doing something a little bit different with the voice. And Spielberg were like, you need to do the voice. Like, you need it's to kind make of, sure kind you of, sound like the, the character. I always felt like Goodman played Fred almost like Jackie Gleason. You know, that kind of old school working man, blue collar, Tom saying, one of these days, Alice. You know? Yeah, I mean, maybe plays... not that maybe not that, no, not, not, that aggressive, not like that. but yes. Not, but I know, not, I know not what like you that. mean. You know. Like same kind of vibe, you know. An interesting bit of trivia. The first time on American television that a couple was seen, a married couple was seen in bed together was the Flintstones. Yeah. Um, and the Simpsons also riffed on that iconically. But yeah, you're right. The, 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 the Flintstones they was did the first. first time that you saw that. And I believe that would have been kind of, in the 60s. Which is, in, which is interesting because it, it lends credence. It gives credence to what you spoke about briefly earlier, how the film had a slightly more mature theme to it. And it kind of does because there's that scene where Halle Berry, who plays Sharon Stone, is trying to seduce Fred, and you can tell he totally does want to yabba dabba do her. Well done. So <laughs> I've been he'd never cheat on it. Yeah, he'd never cheat on. No, he would. wouldn't. You know, with that character, um, again, watching this film at a young age, Halle Berry. Wow, she looks incredible in oh, this yeah. movie. Absolutely. Interestingly. Um, the role was meant to be played by Sharon Stone, and that was going to be a cool. gag. Sharon Stone as Sharon Stone. Miss Sharon, Sharon Stone. Stone. Yeah, for the most part, wow. they refer to her as Miss Stone, but you're right, yeah, in the film she is actually called Sharon Stone. Going back to Goodman as Fred, mm. the bowling alley sequence was almost not in the film. 
How insane hmm. would that be? It was added really? at the last moment because Fred's twinkle toes bowling style was such a big part of the series. They felt they couldn't leave it out. Could you imagine yeah. if this film didn't have twinkle toes Flintstones oh, or man, twinkle toes sacrilege? Flintstones. That would, yeah, that'd be like saying you'd have a Flintstone film without the the car that they operate by foot and they pedal along by their feet. That'd be the same thing. You brought up the car, right? Because I was I was curious about this, right? Yeah. The wheels for the Flintstones car were actually steel oil drums covered in like a fake stone coating. Oh, well, there that's you go. How, that's how they did that. And the car was actually powered by a golf cart motor, not just feet. There you go. Ah, I was wondered, how are they doing that? They had that sneaky shot of the feet. So it gives the illusion that they're they're running it with their feet. And that's it, just like the cartoon. It's always looks great. And then when you using the brakes, which is putting the feet down on the ground and then the dirt just piles up at the feet. Oh, it's yeah. always looked uh, look cool. The visual gags, yeah. I should probably just I mean, you've just watched it, but if people are listening and they need, need a bit of a refresher on the plot. When mm -hmm. Fred Flintstone helps out his friend Barney Rubble in his time of need, Barney returns the favour by getting Fred his dream job. However, their friendship suffers. Obviously, that's what's going on. But then because of Fred's new position, he's then wanted at first disgruntled employees and then he's on the run because he's been set up um, by mm -hmm. the film's big bad. And then there's a moment where you see a wanted poster and it's cartoon Fred Flintstone, which I always thought cool. was really That's, cool. You, how yeah, you do get a few moments where you see cartoon Fred Flintstone pop up. Yeah, oh, I was a newspaper headline, but yeah, but you get to see actual Fred Flintstone, which was uh, yeah, pretty which is cool. Pretty cool. Rick Moranis as Barney Rubble. I mean, Rick Moranis. I'd be happy to watch him in anything, and he's really yeah, good he here. Greatest Barney. He, he was really greatest is. Barney. He really is. But he wasn't yeah. Spielberg's first choice. Do you know who was? Who? Ah, oh. Danny DeVito. That's who Get out of town. That's who he was thinking. Probably uh, because of the height. It's the height. Because you can play him off the, the taller good. I mean, I guess. But would they have given DeVito a blonde wig? It'd look silly. Yeah, it just would look stupid. Yeah, I agree. No, they, they did well with Moranis. He His facial features look more like Barney Rubble. They do. And he's just got a softness to him. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, when he's down and he's looking the movie, like, you really feel for him. Like, yes, you, you know, know. The, you know, the dissolved friendship between him and Fred, but he's taking all these mm. menial jobs, and you really do feel for him. So I thought Moranis did a really good job at conveying that. But with DeVito, yeah. he felt his acting style was too gruff to properly portray Barney, and that's why yeah. he turned down the part. Subsequently, DeVito recommended Moranis for the part. So there you go. There you go, and then we've got Moranis. I guess to, it's, everyone knows everyone in Hollywood. In the film. Yeah, that's it. You mm -hmm. know, I've never noticed it whilst watching the film, but when doing prep for this, uh, apparently Barney Rubble's Snow Cone Van plays the theme song from the Jetsons. Oh, wow. There's a there's a reference. So, uh, in, in Like in-universe Hanna-Barbera reference. Yes, I've never actually noticed it myself, but it was on the it was online, so I'm assuming it's um, it's true. There you go. Elizabeth Perkins, Wilma Flintstone. Yep, perfect. Yeah, she looked she looked apart for sure. And her and Rose O'Donnell as Betty Rubble. I've got such great chemistry, and they both do that giggle together. Mm. You know, just like the just cartoons. Like cartoons. Yep. And apparently, it was Betty Rubble's laugh 
and or should I say, Rosie O'Donnell's nailing of Betty Rubble's laugh is what got her the part. It got her the part. Wow. Visually, yes, she's got the blue dress. Yes, she's got the black hair. I don't know. Never really saw her as Betty Rubble, but she's got the laugh. So I guess that went she, that, that, the strength a long of her laugh her. got her the part. Absolutely. The um, mm. the big bad in this film, Cliff Van der Cave, Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, he plays the part very well. Honestly, across the board, I love the casting of this film. It is all pitch perfect, and it could have gone horribly wrong. Like whenever they adapt animation into live action, but with this film, it just seems to be pitch perfect. There's a Batman the Animated Series link in this film, and I'm trying to work out who the actor in question played because it wasn't immediately apparent to me. Maybe you might be able to help me here. Richard Mole, who voices uh true face harvey dent in batman the animated series is also credited here as being in the film and i'm just struggling to work out who he played in live action he plays he plays hoagie i Ah. can't remember exactly who hoagie is but if we're talking dc connections there's a big one in this i'm talking Mm -hmm. a super villain from superman the movie and superman 2 right okay and I've always noticed him in it. Jack O'Halloran as Yeti. He's the character in the cave. He's one of the employees. It's Non from Superman. There you go. He's without mind as he is without voice. So there's a couple of DC connections here. There you cool. go. Some DC supervillains are, are in this movie. Yeah, no, that is pretty and, and, critical. And it doesn't end there. I Even looking at Goodman at times, as Fred, I thought... He could actually look like a good um, Lieutenant Bullock if you cast him in the role of Bullock in, in, in the Batman in the Batman universe. Have you seen him now though? The guy is trim. He's quite oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Shape. He's lost a ton of weight. He's lost <laughs> yeah, a ton so, of weight. But yeah. if he was more rotund like, like now, like he was then, he would be a great bullock. Yeah, yeah, no, I could um yeah. I I could mm. see that for him. Mm. Mel Blanc is the voice yes. of Dino. In this now, he voiced a legendary Mel Blanc. Yes, he was Dino in the animated series. He gets a credit in this film, which was five years after his death. So the dialogue is taken directly from the animated series. I did wonder that as as the film uh, wrapped last night and the credits came up, I thought to myself, was this filmed before or after Mel Blanc passed away? Yeah, so it, it was after. So they're able to use archive footage and still have him be a part of. The Flintstones, which is um, gotcha. which is pretty cool. The Dicta Bird has always been such a big part of this movie for mm. me. Like you know, it's when you get to the third act, like the Dicta Bird is instrumental in proving Fred's innocence. Here, mm. voiced by Harvey Corman, Corman was the voice of the Great Kazoo from the original animated series. You know, the little green alien guy, who I believe is in the prequel movie, Viva Rock Vegas. I'm pretty sure the alien is in that. Right. I'll have to go and watch that. But although not playing the same character, it's cool that they've gone to the, you know, one of the original voice actors and gave them a Mm. part in in this. It's a nice That's pretty cool. Let's talk about the effects then. I mean, we've we've a lot of the dinosaurs, close-ups. They went to the Jim Henson creature shop they had 
12 weeks to create and deliver more than 20 creatures <laughs> like so that is wow that is huge so there's you can see the design and it is excellent mm. close up whether it's a dicta bird close-ups of dino but then i mean this is early cgi so again early 90s and interestingly the appearance of the saber tooth cat marks one of the first times for a furry cg character in a feature film a specific complex algorithm for its time had to be developed to calculate the movement of every single hair of the fur so there you go that was a big job i like that sequence uh we can we can get into that more when we talk about the visuals of the film but i do like the fact that they faithfully replicated some of those opening and closing credits title sequences in the cartoon Oh, absolutely. But we could do it now. I mean, you were like talking before um, about wondering, you know, with the set, where was it? You know, well, I can tell you some of that. The bedrock set, it took two months to build, accounted for 10% of the film's 45 million budget. So, so much money and effort went into the look of bedrock. And that was the right move. Whenever we talk Batman, we talk about how Gotham City feels like a character all by itself. Yeah, and so you get that with, with Bedrock. Like it, mm. it looks, on one hand, it looks like a cartoon brought to life. Yeah. On the other hand, it looks so lived in. It looks like part of the natural world too. There's one scene where they're eating their lunch on on, on their on their lunch break at work, and it's by a, a, a river or a lake system. And I'm just wondering if that was actually existing like uh, as a geographical location or whether it was man-made for the film because it looks very convincing yeah visually the whole thing looks great and i love like all the little attention to detail i mean I mentioned the jim henson creature shop so mm. if we're looking at what they actually produce i mean again over 20 creatures but in particular I really like the giant lobster lawnmowers they were yeah that was really cool, cool. And ah, oh, there's ah, oh, there's so many. And then again, the the dicta like bird. The, yeah, the little garbage disposal disposal dude under the under the under the sink. It's oh, really funny. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, Very it good. is. Yeah, it is so good. They really did a great job of bringing the cartoon into life. You know. I Absolutely. Mean, yeah. Even, even just some of the throwaway moments, like it, it doesn't really have much to do with it or mean much. But there's one scene I quite like. It's where. The Barney and um, um, Betty are, are getting the grips with adopting a child, which is Bam Bam. And Bam Bam's playing up in the, in the backyard. And you've got Fred on a hammock nearby in his backyard watching the action unfold. And he's completely unfaced. And it's very like the Simpsons kind of riff on that too. Like something will be happening in Ned Flanders' yard. And Homer's is completely nonplussed. He's just watching curiously over his newspaper, like what's going on here. And, Fred, and Fred's kind of doing the same thing in that scene. He's just sitting there in his hammock, reading a tablet, which stands in for a, a newspaper, I guess, in this instance. And he's just watching, just going, what is this about? And not getting involved at all, but just kind of morbidly curious. That was a nice little throwaway scene, I thought. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. And yeah, that's a big part of the storyline, isn't it? That's that's why that leads to the falling out. Fred gives Barney some mm. money or lends him some money for the adoption, and it all kind of spirals mm. from there. I mean, the mm. kids playing Bam Bam and Pebbles, which is common for the time, they mm. usually get siblings or twins, and that's what's happening yes. here. But look at the actress that is playing Pebbles. It's Elaine and Melanie Silva. And I was looking at them whilst watching the movie for this, thinking, God, they look so familiar. And I looked them up online. No, this is it. 
they're not currently working actors. They did this, and they didn't really do much of anything else. But for this film, they, you know, Bam Bam, Pebbles, they both, both look the part. Mm. David Newman is the composer on this film. We mm-hmm. get the classic Flintstones song, uh, not just yeah. a, as a straight song, but we also get a rendition by the B-52s who are in the movie. Yes, uh, that's right. And they're in costume as well. Of the song, so that was really cool. But David Newman, cool. no strangers to the podcast, he was the composer on the live-action Scooby-Doo movie. There he you was go. the composer on... Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So we've talked Excellent. about him. <laughs> we've talked about him in the past. And yeah, like nice. he's doing a good job of delivering the sound of this world. I mean, again, very faithful. Yeah. Yeah. But top to bottom, this is so polished. I'm trying to think, like for me, I don't think there's a better example of adapting a animated series to live action. I think this is probably at the top for me. It's, I'm sure there's maybe something. It is something... so, the attention to detail is insane. Even the guy, even in the opening scene, the guy in the marble pit with the dinosaur and he rings the, the, the clock off bell. It looks exactly like the guy in, in, in animation. He's got the little moustache. He's got the helmet. <laughs> yeah, he's got his watch. It's just every, every, all the little meticulous little details. That it's like they've brought to life in, in, in live action, every little cartoony effect and, and detail. It's, it's pretty like good. They they had a checklist of everything people knew and liked about the animated series that they wanted to include in this ninety minute movie, and they mm. ticked everything off. They've got oh yeah the big stake put on the side yes. of the car, tipping it's it over. They've got Fred That's Flintstone great. sliding down the tail of a dinosaur. They've got him putting out yep. the saber tooth cat, and then he comes back and inside him. Oh, it's, it's all there, and isn't the cat it? Jumps back inside, then Fred gets chucked outside. He's like, "Well, ma," he's like banging on the door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's... it's all there. It's it's all there. It's just, I mean, I don't think people have been more ex- excited for a, a cartoon movie d- uh, than you know than probably since the uh, the Simpsons movie. This and the Simpsons movies were both movies that were people people were just so it just captured people's imagination because they were long running cartoons on TV and people wanted to see them in, on the big screen. The, the only difference, I mean, yes, but the only difference with that though is that. Simpsons was still running and is still running today with new episodes yes, that's right. every year. Still in circulation. And although the movie did something different and it did feel bigger, and I did go and watch it at the cinema, it did still feel like the TV series. Not in a bad way, mm. but it felt like it. Whereas mm. obviously this, it's just like a whole like, other experience that you could enjoy yeah, it's live itself, action. Yeah, or you can watch it as part of you know if you watch the animated series. I think it's, it's, it's the phenomenon. This. What I'm trying to get at though is it's, it's the phenomenon of them. It's just because they're so beloved. So people loved to go see the movies based on them. Yeah, and you know, they're doing a adult take on the Flintstones. Flintstones is coming back to the small screen. The main character is going to be an older Pebbles, voiced, wow. I believe, by Elizabeth Banks. I'm hoping well, though, it's not going to be another Velma, which we yeah. you know, I have covered on the that podcast already. I don't have awful. you seen it? Have you watched it? I haven't haven't seen it, but I know enough about it to know that I don't want to see it. Okay. Well, I have seen it, and I've got a similar opinion. So there you go. <laughs> you saved yourself some time. It. I don't know. It's it's got it's got its moments, but I don't know. 
Anyway, I've spent enough time talking about Velma, but I'll be interested to see. I think it's just called Bedrock, the Pebble Show, but it's um, coming soon from Elizabeth Banks and on the back of Cocaine Bear, which she directed. Love that film. Mm. So she's got a pass. Wow. Of me, okay, so I had I'll no like... idea she directed that. That's interesting. She did, yeah, and that is a, uh, such a good film. But that's a different film to the one we're here to review. So, if you're going to rate the Flintstones out of five, I'll come in at a at a, at a, at a nice mid range three. I think it's a recommend. Certainly, nothing bad about the film. Certainly uh, viewable and watchable, and you'll have fun. You'll probably may even have fun watching it. Um, if you grew up like we did in the eighties uh, and nineties, you were familiar with the, with the TV show, and even generations before us, you know, were familiar with the cartoons. So. Anyone who is familiar with that zeitgeist is going to have a good time watching this movie. Um, the effects are very faithful to the the cartoon. the 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 soundtrack is great. the The visuals again faithful to the cartoon. Um, I I think it's and it was entertaining. It was good. It, it kept it, it kept us entertained and kept us engaged for the for the the whole duration of it. So yeah, definitely a three for me. I think ten year old me would give it five out of five. Adult <laughs> me. Not so much. Now, mm. I've seen this film a lot, and it doesn't lose its shine, and it's because of the cast, the, the visuals, the set design, all of that. What I would say, you know, I'm obviously not going to come in at a five. I'm going to come in at a at a four, which is still a high score, but it's because That's how good. much love I have of this film, and maybe I'm partly to blame because I've watched it probably too many times but the main plot, I'm a bit tired of it. And that's not the film's fault because... Mm, like, it's a bit generic, isn't it? A bit cliche. And it's just, I don't know. I think I would have loved... I mean, they, they couldn't do a sequel. They had to get a different cast and do a prequel. They went in a different mm. direction. So I will watch the prequel just out of curiosity. And just so I could watch like a live-action Flintstones film with a different plot. So I'm saying that it feels tired, but that's because I've watched it too many times. I have watched think, it so many times. Do you think the plot? Do you think the plot is what lets this film down for you? Is that what's impacted your score? Oh, it's just. I mean, I mean, it is a kids' film. Like, it's not trying yeah. to be anything else. Like, it, you know, no. it's a Brilliant. it's a G-rated movie. Like, that's what it was always supposed to be. And you know, tonally, I mentioned in the opening there that you know some of the gags are a bit mature, but that was the cartoon as well. So it's not doing anything too different to that. So maybe some parents didn't like certain certain gags because they felt it was a bit mm. inappropriate you know there's there's certainly some moments in like the kids heads yeah Those but there's certainly some right kids heads. moments where you're like hang on is that what they just said or is that what they just did but no i think four is a good score uh well it's a great score to be honest but it's a good score oh, for actually. me i think i'm comfortable giving it that and you know it, it's it's just so much fun. Like it is it is mm. so much fun. But if I was to watch it as a brand new film today, like yeah, but even saying that, like I think what they're doing or what they're giving us for the plot then, it still worked today. It's just again, I've just seen it too many times, but I'm not gonna be ridiculous and give it five out of five. I'm gonna give it a reasonable four out of five. That's fair. Well, that's it for our episode all about the Flintstones. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure never a chore. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>